recorded live. Ring that bell, Oh, well, we can't hear that again. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christogenia Saturdays. Today is Saturday, April 12, 2014. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel. Thank you for listening. Damn the Jews and all of their minions. We had some, um, well, we had some visitors here a few moments ago. I wish they'd have stuck around. They could hear me. They could hear me rant a little bit. Tonight I'm not going to rant about the anti-fuck communist faggot Jew bastards, though. Tonight I want to talk a little bit about kinists. I um, have a lot of experience with kinists. I don't hate all kinists, don't get me wrong, but kinism has some serious biblical flaws. I'm going to illustrate a couple of them tonight. They like to use big words and, and make arguments based on emotion and, and not on scripture that they have. Uh, most of the kinists that have debated with me uh, over the years have had a sense of self-piety and self-righteousness. That, that's typical of the Boston liberals. It's typical of uh, Ivy College professors and coffeehouse Jews. That's my impression of kinism. I know not all kinists fit that mold, and I've met some that were decent people over the years. I'm not talking about them, but I wish they would come around and, and examine Christian identity and find the truth about the Bible. I'm going to offer a brief criticism of kinists. I noticed a discussion in a forum recently where I was criticized by a few of these people for allegedly attacking them because I mentioned some of what I perceive as their flaws on one of my programs. I'm known to do that from time to time. I guess I'm too judgmental to be a real Christian. Actually, the opposite is true. I don't attack them, but when I talk about other people or other groups or other... Christian persuasions on these programs, it's almost always in response to queries from others or, or to things that I've been confronted with by others, by others in their words or their actions. Kinists are often perceived as being on our, when I say our, I mean Christian identity, of course, on our side of the racial discussion. However, we, and when I say we, I mean my wife, Melissa, and I, but we have encountered kinists on certain social media websites, such as Facebook, who would argue all day in defense of niggers, while at the same time they wrongly condemn fellow whites who do not share their misguided empathy. Kinism to me, is a poor excuse for allowing beasts to devour the true body of Christ by giving those beasts a legitimacy which the scripture does not uphold. There is an observation which must be made here in reference to this sect that in their biblical interpretation they reduce the concept of the Imago Dei, as they like to use the Latin term for the image of God. They reduce that concept to the mere physical appearance of man, 
or to the image of whatever hominids they generally consider to be man. In chapter 1 of his epistle to the Romans, Paul says that they change the estimation of the incorruptible God into a resemblance of an image of corruptible man, among other things. By this, it should be apparent that the image of God, the imago Dei, which the kinists like to reduce to the general physical form of all hominids, is something more than merely the physical appearance of man. In spite of the fact that the scripture attests that God made man in his image, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1 that it's wrong to imagine the image of God as the mere image of man. We can resolve this discrepancy only with the understanding that there is more to the image of God than mere physical appearance. Yet that additional element was bestowed upon the Adamic race, and not upon all hominids. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, it is described that Adamic man was created in the image of God. In Genesis 5, 3, it is confirmed that this image, along with the likeness of man, is transmitted to subsequent generations of Adamic man through the act of procreation, where it says, And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness, after his image, and called his name Seth. That Noah, who was perfect in his generations, perfect in his descent, also bore that same image along with his own sons as confirmed in Genesis chapter 9. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, told the Corinthians, who were Dorian Greeks, who were Aryan men, that man was the image and glory of God in reference to those Corinthians. In Romans chapter 5, Paul equates his use of the Greek term for man with Adam. In spite of the poor King James rendering of the passage, at Colossians 1.15, Paul tells us that Christ is the image, is the likeness of the invisible God, the firstborn of all the creation, or the whole creation. Not every creature is the King James has it. Likewise, he wrote in Romans chapter 8 that because those whom he has known beforehand, he is also appointed beforehand, conformed to the image of his son for him to be firstborn among many brethren. With certainty, the creation of Colossians 1.15 are the Adamic brethren of Romans 8.29. And Paul tells us at the end of Romans chapter 8 that that Adamic creation, and this tells us how Paul uses that term, creation, that the Adamic creation is one creation as opposed to other creations. Height, deaths, angels, and there's a short list of other things there. 
that tells us that Paul is using that term creation to describe the one specific species, if you can call it that, of Adamic man. So the whole creation doesn't include other species or other genera of animals or plants the way Paul uses the term. It only refers to the whole Adamic creation or the entire Adamic race. Yet Christ only foreknew and appointed beforehand the children of Israel. Amos 3.2, for instance. Additionally, all of the descendants of Noah were originally white. This is where the kinists really fail. Kinism is the belief that people from every race can be Christian. People from every race can be saved, can see God, can come to Christ, can go to heaven. That's what kinists believe. However, kinists are racial separatists and they base that upon the belief that God created the nations and their boundaries. Well, they're not entirely wrong about that. God did do that. But those nations and boundaries were created from the Adamic race, Genesis chapters 10 and 11, Deuteronomy 32, 8. Are all races Adamic? Certainly not. Because we can... I identify all of the descendants of Noah in Genesis chapter 10. We can identify them, and they were all white. There were no Negroes, no blacks, no Chinamen, no Latin American squat monster midgets, no Eskimos. None of those were in that list of nations in Genesis chapter 10. So we must understand the Bible in a context other than having a global scope. Because all those people were white, because they constituted basically the white world as it existed at the time of the generation subsequent to, to Noah and his sons, perhaps 3000 to 2500 B.C., because all those people are identifiable, we have to imagine the Bible story in the scope which the Bible provides, which is the scope of the white Adamic oikumene, the birth of Western civilization, if you have it. We can't force a global context into it. That's where the kinists go wrong, and that's where the kinists err and causes them to err further because they imagine there to be separate bodies of Christ, and there simply aren't. There's only one body of Christ. There's only one body of Christ in Scripture, not two. And we should all be one in Christ. But we... That term has to be limited to the biblical scope, which is the Adamic race, and out of that race, the lost sheep of the house of Israel, because they are the only people Christ came for.
They are the only people he appointed beforehand. And we have to identify them in the world. That's an honest approach of scripture. Kinism, which tries to create multiple bodies of Christ, that's a perversion of scripture. Only Adamic race, only the Adamic race has that spirit which God bestowed upon Adam, which can complete the image of God. Because as Paul says, that image must transcend the mere physical form, which is certainly what he says in the first chapter of Romans. The Bible tells us explicitly that Yahweh knew only Israel beforehand. And only Israel are them who are the called according to his purpose. And in Romans chapter 8, we see that it is Israel who are conformed to the image of his son through God's law, which governs our spirit. The other so-called races, the yellow, black, brown, or whatever other shape or color they may come, have absolutely no scriptural or historical associations with Adam, with Noah, with those 72 nations which came from the sons of Noah. Yeah, Ethiopians today are black. Yeah, Egyptians today are somewhere between <laughs> beige and coffee, but they weren't originally. Originally, they were white. The Bible explains why they are no longer white. The Word of God says that he gave them up for the sake of the children of Israel. Who did he give them up to? Only the children of Israel were ever given the law of God. And therefore, only the children of Israel were ever called into obedience so that they may conform themselves to the image of his son. Trying to add other races to this equation is adding to scripture. It's, you're writing your own Bible. You become a clown, a Bible clown. From Psalm 147, from verse 19, he showeth his word unto Jacob, his statutes and his judgments unto Israel. He has not dealt so with any nation. And as for his judgments, they have not known them. Praise ye Yahweh. From Isaiah 63, from verse 19, we are thine the children of Israel, talking to Yahweh their God. Thou never bearest rule over them. They were not called by thy name. In reference to the other nations, the other nations of the Adanic Lacumene. Israel is not even a chosen race, but one nation which was chosen out of a particular race, that being the Adamic race, from Deuteronomy 32.8. When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, not the sons of Toby, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. For Yahweh's portion is his people Jacob, 
is a lot of his inheritance, Christian identity, endeavors through scripture and history and archaeology to identify those people. Reading the Bible honestly and not perverting its intended meaning. The division of the nations referenced in Deuteronomy 32.8, that's the division which is recorded in Genesis chapters 10 and 11 in the days of Peleg, several centuries before the call of Abraham. And there were tribes of only one race on the plains of Shinar when that division occurred. There were no Chinamen there. There were no Negroes there. Certain men and, and certain writers of this sect of kinists quite idiotically insist that because there is a diversity in the manifestations of the divinity, a father, a son, a Holy Spirit, that because of that, there must also be a diversity in the races of men. They actually take themselves seriously when they set forth that postulation. They're just clowns. By that, they insist that somehow all races must be accepted into salvation. Then they demand separation from the other races, segmenting the body of Christ, which the scripture tells us should all be joined together. That's the main difference between Christian identity and kinists. We recognize that only the descendants of the ancient Israelites, who were found for the most part, not exclusively, but for the most part today, in the Anglo-Saxon, Celtic, Germanic, related and related peoples, we recognize that only they are the called, the chosen, the predestined, the conformed, only they are eligible to be Christians because only they are of the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Where kinists want to squeeze everybody into this picture and then segment the body of Christ into different bodies, excluding the other races. Kinists are taking the right approach in being racial separatists but they're taking the wrong approach in imagining other races to be other bodies of Christ. That's ridiculous. It's absolutely anti-scriptural. It's irrational. It's the most ridiculous and irrational insistence which has ever, in my eyes, been called a doctrine. It not only disregards both scripture and history, but also completely destroys the biblical insistence upon the sanctity of true Israel, which is found in both the Old and New Testaments. One essayist describes this very thing and makes the bold assertion that the orthodox doctrine of Trinitarian consubstantial unity, tell me that's not a mouthful of horse manure, is non-negotiable, he says. Unity evidently referring also to a unity of all races as the conclusion to a thesis founded upon one false premise after another. The sect which generally calls themselves kinists are among the most notable clowns in Christianity, thinking that big words, they love to use these big words, Trinitarian, consubstantial unity. I don't find those words in the Bible. 
I don't think the Greeks even had translations for those words. Big words do not substitute for the simple truth in Christ. When you hear somebody using big words like that, that's what called Paul that that's what Paul of Tarsus called the systemization of deception. We don't need big words. I mean, I could use all the big words in the world. I don't need them, so I don't. I shun them. The truth can be expressed in very simple terms using very plain language. And that's what Christians should endeavor to do. You didn't hear Christ utter things like Trinitarian consubstantial unity. I'd write those words on some toilet paper and you know where I'd use it. That's where they belong. Leave them to the academics that systemize this deception and pervert the word of God. The wisdom the, the wisdom of this world. Christians should have no use for such terms. Big words do not substitute for the simple truth in Christ. The Kenneths completely ignore the many admonitions concerning bastards. And the first law of the Bible, which is that of kind after kind, they fail to recognize the words of the Apostle John who described some people as having been born of God and others as having been born of the world, excluded from the kingdom of heaven. Because Christ says, unless a man is born from above, he shall not see the kingdom of heaven. The kiddists set those words at naught, imagining that anybody who chooses Jesus can be a Christian when in fact, it's Christ who chose us. And we look at who Christ chose, it's only the descendants of Abraham through Jacob, Israel. Get your history straight, you'll understand who those people are. None of them are Jews. Outside of Christ, only Adam, we are told, is directly born of God, which is why Christ is the last man, Adam. We must therefore examine the genealogies provided by Scripture and distinguish the Adamic race from those born of the world. John gauges a man whose sins are not to be imputed as one whose seed is in him, the Greek word sperma, which can only be a reference to racial purity. The Kinnists like the Judaized Christians, reject the literal meaning of the word seed as it is clearly used in Scripture. There is no such thing as spiritual sperm. The Kinnis claim that the Bible supports nationalism, and that is true. Adamic nationalism, it doesn't recognize the other races as nations. Yet they erroneously claim that all nations, regardless of race, can be Christian, that is not true. The new covenant was made, Jeremiah chapter 31, Hebrews chapter 8, with the house of Israel and the house of Judah and no one else. Paul reckoned Israel by tribes, Acts chapter 26. James reckoned Israel 
by tribes, James chapter 1. Jesus Christ reckoned Israel by tribes, Revelation chapter 7. Israel is not a church. Israel is still, to this day, 12 tribes. Stop clowning with the Bible. It's hypocritical and conflicts with Scripture to imagine that other races can be Christian and then to demand biblical separation from them. This is a severe cognitive disconnect on the part of the kinists. In truth, only nations, the only nations which can be Christian are those which have descended from the faith of Abraham. Romans chapter 4. The 12 tribes of the children of Israel are what Abraham believed, that his seed would become many nations, his seed from out of his loins. If you're a nigger, a stick, a chink, yeah, I'm using pretty vulgar terms. If you're one of those, Abraham didn't believe in you. You can't be a Christian. Abraham didn't believe in you. If Abraham had thought a black man would come from his loins, he'd have probably cut them off. The horrible sin, fornication. The biggest error which the kinists commit, in my experience, is to imagine that when we are not told something explicit in Scripture, yet we can still insist that it can be true in spite of Scripture. I was actually told this directly by a kinist in a discussion I had with him on that same social media website where he attempted to explain that just because the other races in Scripture were not explicitly told that they were made in the image of God does not mean that they weren't. So basically, they write Scripture for themselves and project the image of God upon Negroes and Chinamen or others who never historically had anything to do with the people of the book. The book is Genesis chapter 5. The book is the book of the race or generations of Adam. Only one race is the subject of the book. The Bible which God gave us is evidently not good enough for the kinists. I say all these things to profess to people that kinism is not cool. It is not cool to spend all day defending the entry of a nigger in the kingdom of heaven while you're beating white people over the head with your 25-letter words. Kinism is only another form of Jewish egalitarianism, slickly packaged into a quasi-nationalist and pseudo-Christian container. It's no better. In fact, in a lot of ways, it's a lot worse than Judeo-Christianity. I would appeal to all white chemists to wake the hell up, please. Take a new look at the scripture. 
in the light of ancient history, which is what Christian identity endeavors to do. Tonight, we're going to have open phone lines once again. I pray this participation. I had to get that, that, that rant about the kinist off my chest. It's come up one too many times. A lot of um, Christian identity brethren have accepted kinists as fellow racially aware whites, and they've been bitten in the end when kinists have turned on them to defend the other races. And, and this has been my own direct experience on certain social media sites. So I had to expound on it. I'd be glad to discuss some of these things with kinists. They're going to have to leave all their stupid-ass big words at the door and talk about scripture and history because I don't want to hear about Trinitarian consubstantial unity that they could um that they could stick that on a shelf somewhere to put it nicely and forget about it. They should talk about what Christ said and what Yahweh our God said in the prophets, because that's the word of God. That's what matters. These seven letter words and twelve letter words and eighteen letter words, they're useless except unless you're a Jewish dictionary printer. I'm not afraid of the words. I understand them, but they're useless because we don't need big words to express the simple truths of Christ. With that, maybe I'll ask my, uh, my brother Matthew Ott if he'll accept any phone calls on the line or perhaps talk to me himself if nobody comes along. Hey, Bill. Hello, Matt. How are we well, doing? We, we're doing quite good. Uh, we do have uh, one person on the line so far uh, from Idaho. Yeah, we could, I'm, I'm sure it's Tom, I think. We could, we could talk to Tom again. Okay. All right. Okay, Idaho, you're on the line. Hi, Bill. Hi, Matt. Hello, Tom. Yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, I uh, appreciate your comments on the chemist. I had a lot of uh, kids coming home from school talking about old oh, programs that they show in class these days. They usually will take these uh, recordings from TED conferences. You know, the liberal universalist TED people. And they'll get people up there with their PhDs, and they'll be talking about defining what an appropriate religion is. And they'll talk in terms of every universalist lie you could think, and then they explain how they're going to spread that through the United Nations, and they've got organizations formed to do all of that. But every day they come home, and I have to debrief them on this stuff, they'll get me on the YouTube, I'll look at that TED conference, and you know we'll just have to stop at about every, every second sentence or so to try to deconstruct the lies that are being told. It's absolutely disgusting. But they use the same words that the chemists do. <laughs> so I, I found that kind of interesting. Yeah, it's it's sad. I mean, that's that's pretty much e equatable to the public education system. Period. You know, you you find that you have to literally deconstruct all the lies from what they're teaching our kids in school. Period. Yeah. Well, I do it every day, but 
that was one that was particularly um, of interest because of the comments that you made, Bill. Um, it's basically Calvinists in a lot of ways, right? That they adhere a lot of them very strongly to the the, the um, ideas of predestination of Calvin, what where certain people out of every nation, which is what the New Testament and, and, and certain scriptures attest, that people out of every nation would come to God through Christ. However, what the prophets tell us is that people out of every nation of scattered Israel is going to come to God through Christ. Not people out of every nation, meaning every other race. Yes, it's a, great, yeah, it's a great secret unlocked when you finally see it. And with your assistance, I'm, I and others around me have helped to unlock that secret. But it's a really hard sell, as you well know. It's just tough. <laughs> well, well, it's what the Scripture says. Yes. Over and over again, that's what the Scripture says. That, that they have to get, people have to get over their worldly churchianity training and kick aside those big stupid words and they are stupid words they don't belong in scripture because they're not found in scripture if, if you can't find Christianity according to the promises of God then you have not found Christianity well it kind of reminds me of an experience I had with a Scientologist years and years ago and he was actually around when L. Ron Hubbard was doing his thing. And they used to, of course, redefine virtually the entire dictionary to favor them and to befuddle their adversaries with all of these carefully crafted words. And some of them were multisyllable. It got to the point where they spoke virtually a different language and tried to trump you with that. It was so disingenuous and so ridiculous. After a while, it became just a complete joke. But you sounded like you were trying to, in some ways, it, it sounded like that, at least at some level, what the Kenneths do to some extent. Well, well, right. They use all of the fancy language of um, the, the interdenominational debates, right? That They use all of those fancy terms which the different denominations use to describe the different concepts of God, of Christ, of the church, and none of those things are biblical. Yeah. I mean, sure, you might be able to point to a scripture or two somewhere in support of each of those things, but if that's the case, that you could support your entire belief in the Bible upon a scripture or two, then every denomination is right. Right. When in reality, all of those denominations are wrong. And the first rule of, of Scripture in my book is that no verse of Scripture negates another verse of Scripture. The whole Scripture has to be understood. I, I understand your comment on that from several other shows I've listened to, and I, I have two more questions I wanted to get into, and the second one involves that very issue, making sure that nothing negates another, and that involves doing business in a Jewish world. But the first thing I wanted to ask about before that is this concept of cultural evolution and the predisposition of racial types to do certain things. 
I know you've had Kevin McDonald on before, and I did listen to that show. Um, I didn't think there was a follow-up show, although you indicated at the end there might be. But I read well, something. Kevin, actually, let, let me comment on that because there's a lot of listeners tonight. Kevin actually was very congenial after the program I did with him. Uh, I think we had at, at least a, a moderate degree of mutual respect. I don't dislike Kevin. He did offer to do another follow-up program on a Frankfurt school. I did not follow through with it. I didn't follow through with it for two reasons, and let me state them. The first reason was that I was supposed to read the rest of his book. I've never gotten the time to do that, and I still haven't had the time to do that. So I didn't think that I could do Kevin McDonald any justice. Okay, okay. I, I interviewed Kevin McDonald on the Frankfurt School, along with Sword Brethren, but I never really read his book. I, I familiarized myself with it. I skimmed parts of it. I, I got the general gist of what he was saying. I mean, that's one day, two days preparation for a program. That's the way it is. The second reason was that Kevin himself, shortly after that program, had become tied up in the A3P, the American Third Position Party, and and. While I respected the man, even though he's not a Christian, I understand where he's coming from and why he's not a Christian. We have to transcend that that worldly dislike for non-Christians to try to imagine why they're not Christians, okay? But he got tied up in the political party, and I didn't want to interview a politician. Oh, I didn't realize he got tied up with political parties. Yes. All right. Okay. Well, I've been there, too, and I'm no longer, and believe me, I understand that one. All right. Well, I had read something recently by Charles Darwin and by uh, Livingston, the old English, and I was curious about its relationship to some of the things Kevin MacDonald had said, because in those studies that were being paraphrased in what I read, it indicated that there had been observations about the Mamsers or the mixed breeds that had been sired by people of black and other uh, and South South Pacific tribes that had turned out in one of two ways. In about two thirds of the case, Darwin observed that they turned out to be basically more agitated and often mean. And in another case, about a third of the cases. Um, they turned out to be lacquards or dullards. And he, of course, was taking the position that it was not a good thing. And I'm only talking scientifically from what they said. Livingston seemed to pipe in and say similar things. Now, I have yet to confirm the legitimacy of these paraphrased quotes, but it was really interesting, and it seemed to echo a lot of what maybe a guy like McDonald could have confirmed or such. And I've read Shockley and Jensen, The Bell Curve, and some of those things that came out before. But this concept of a genetic predisposition to sway toward either a rule of law, for example, that would be at a higher order, such as the Adamic white man, versus the law of the jungle, which, of course, the beast is only going to be able to do, then merging them and to become a mamzer that would have these characteristics observed by an evolutionist such as Darwin or a scientist like Livingston, and then to find those being written at a time that was maybe pre-Jewish controlled media, just sounded interesting to me. And I wondered if you had heard about that or knew of any additional information or some direction one could go to research something like that. No, no I don't because I don't read that stuff. I, I have heard 
um, comments by 19th and 18th century anthropologists, British and, and, and um, French, and, and other sorts of others of that sort of people that, that are favorable to our worldview. But I, I don't really catalog them or pursue those things. I haven't read any of their books. I, I haven't. I, I read ancient history and scripture. That's what I read. Okay. Well, I knew in the context of the chemist, however, this natural predisposition based upon cultural evolution would certainly provide one other aspect of the obvious illogic of that sort of a doctrine. So, um, well, well, right. I can imagine that it's easy for a um, that the empathy, the natural empathy, it's that that's a part of our fabric. That, that we can extend that to people of other races when we see some of our qualities in them and we do see some of our qualities in the world's bastards. But not understanding that the, the rest of them is wild animal, we keep extending our empathy to them and we keep getting bit. Yeah. Yep, like a moth to a flame. I oh, yeah. Have the concept of uh, uh, casting casting your pearls before swine, and lest they turn and rend you. That's the exact same. Uh, that that's you know that's why that quote's even there. And we we have we have our stereotypes. We have stereotypes for a reason. You have <laughs> you have these uh, age old phrases that we've all heard, like you got Jewed, and and boy is that nigger rigged. But then, you know, and they're obviously negative connotations uh, and negative for a reason. And then you have the phrase, well, mighty white of you, which is obvious positive connotation. There, we have these, these um, you know, these current stereotypes for a reason. And it's because it's been passed down age after age after age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's true. I I think of that whenever I hear those things being criticized quite often myself, Matt, so I appreciate your comment. I agree with that. I have a question about doing business in the Jewish world because I have kids that are now getting to the point where they're ready to graduate from college. They're all looking at careers. I've had a long, long business career as well as in the law. And my problem is that the longer I progressed through my business and legal world, um, I became more and more restrictive, more and more exclusive, and it was to the point where, you know, a lot of the opportunities I thought I once had just aren't there. But on the other hand, knowing that, you know, Israelite, Adamic people have some brains and uh, presumptively enterprise, and there is vision and creativity and such, I'm trying to get to a point where I can counsel them best for purposes of lines to cross or not to cross. There's always this top level of talking about things like, well, we all have to use the U.S. dollar because it's basically sort of a common denominator of commerce. And even though it's monetized debt, it's the devilish Jewish usury system. What the hell do you tell people when it comes to doing things like that? I knew Bruce McCarthy years ago at Bible camps and such. and He got to the point where... You know, he was a Federal Reserve dollar expert, and he wouldn't use them, but he would rely upon or, in my opinion, lean upon people 
who used those Federal Reserve notes in order to buy their stuff, and then they donate that to him. So it just there is there's just no way to extricate yourself from everything. So I just kind of wanted to figure out where you guys draw the line on some of these things. It's the divine will of God, and and that's the strict will. And there's the permissive will of God. Christ told the apostles, okay, the King James has occupy until I come, right? Yeah. That's not what he told the apostles. He told the apostles, transact your business until I come. Go about your business until I come. That's what he told them. Mm-hmm. That word pragmatuo is the, the verb. It doesn't mean occupy. It means to, perhaps it can mean to keep yourself occupied, but in that passage, he used it in the active and not in the passive sense. So the King James translators wrote occupy as if it was an active verb. Well, a lot of people take that to mean that that we should have dominion over the other races. They support that harebrained dominion theology idea with that verse. But pragmatuo means go about your business until I come. You know, there's a reason why God's people aren't called to come out of Babylon until Babylon falls. We were predestined by the sin of our distant ancestors to this seven times period of punishment under the Babylonian stump system of Daniel. God knows that we're ruled over by these evil bastards because he told us we would be ruled over by these evil bastards. He understands that the currency is not honest. When Christ took that coin and said, whose image is this? And they said, Caesar's. He said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's so that you can give to God what is God's. Well, that coin wasn't an honest coin. There was coin clipping and oppressive taxes and, and, and looting and pillaging by the government in those days too. So what our government's doing today isn't anything new. There was usury in those days too. Yeah, and but, what I'm, but what I'm getting at, Bill, is that we know that there was a time of blindness, and now as the blindness is coming off of at least some of the remnant, and now that you know, now it becomes less a condition of ignorance as one of volition. So that's all I'm getting at. Well, well we're stuck in that Babylonian system, and we can't do anything about it. And none of us are going to effectively come out of the system until we receive that call that Babylon is fallen, is fallen, come out of her, my people. Well, you have, you, you, you've had some shows with, with Clifton. You've had some shows with Eli in the past where it seemed like you were painting. Uh, this is not a criticism at all because I agreed with you. You were painting with somewhat of a broad brush when it came to certain things that business people do. Um, there was a call once about crowdfunding, for example. And because it was Jewish, I guess, owned or something at that time, it was just uh, you know right out of the box. It was a bad idea. But I've seen people do projects that were for an affinity-based thing where contributions are made to do something cool and something noble. And the mechanism itself didn't seem to be evil. It seemed to be what you do with it and whether or not it is, in fact, you know, doing a multicultural universalist uh, fence to God or whether or not you're trying to do something good and whether you're doing it without using usury. So that was kind of the 
the gyrations I was going through trying to figure it out because part of my background has been to, frankly, raise money to do projects. And I try to do we're it never, on a private... Go ahead. But we're not going to avoid using the usury money system. We're not going to avoid it. I, I, I can't imagine how you can come out of that and expect everyone who you need goods or services from to, to, to agree to a barter-based system. The only way we could do that is to have our own separate community and eventually our own separate state, and then the government will wage war against us. We're right. not going to do it. We're not going Adolf Hitler tried it, 1945, he failed. Well, we're trying to – I'm trying to have conversations right now about money, debt, usury, investing, the business regulations. To your brother – I would tell people the general guideline, never loan to your brethren at usury, period. Give it to them. Give them the $20. Give them the $100. Give them the $1,000. Don't loan it to them at usury ever. That's a mortal sin. Yeah, and I God. had somebody come back on me when I did that, and he says, well, look at Matthew 25 and look at the parable. He said that with the one with the one talent, you know, it would have been better if he'd put in the bank and gotten interest. And I said, you idiot, that is a sarcastic remark because he was upset with him. <laughs> but I don't know. Um, it, it does. That's how I would interpret that, that he wasn't even smart enough to put the money in the bank for interest, right? Yeah, okay. That, that it could earn more than it was given. But we're not to imagine that we're making money for Jesus. We're to apply the example to the fruits, the Christian fruits of our lives, right? We should, that, that parable and that example, which is in the cultural context at a time and the societal construct at a time, that, that's not su- supposed to be taken as a license to break God's laws against usury. Well, along those lines, what I'm trying to do is to look at the vision, the mission, the purpose. I've done a lot of startups, a lot of emerging growth companies we've helped over the years. Whether it's noble, moral, ethical, uh, we get into things like hiring practices and various associations and and what we do when we rub up against outsiders who we didn't invite in. So to a degree that I would not advise that we do. We as Christians, we're told to lead simple lives and work with your hands. I would tell my kids if, if I could do it all over again or if I myself could do it all over again, I would just go learn a simple trade and work with my hands. That's what Christians are told to do. So as far as investing, like in that uh, example, in that parable, investing isn't something that you would consider to be Christian or how would you view that? Well, well, I'm not boasting, but I've never owned a stock in my life, and I wouldn't. Yeah, I'm asking about the one in the parable, though. Do you think that that was a uh, – I don't know why it was used as – that was the example. Uh, was, the, was the act of investing itself something that was immoral, or was it – they were, were using is immoral. Well, no, no, no. I'm not talking about usury. If I if I invest with somebody in a business, let's say that we want to start something to do something good, and there is a profit aspect to it, can't I do that with somebody and then profit by the investment helping him to do that? There's... Well, well, here's where we fail as a people, okay? Here's our biggest failure as a race. 
we've taken our excess income, I'll call it, and we've given it to the Jew to invest in securities, and the Jew who chooses where to invest our hard-earned dollars, the Jew comes to control our society. Imagine that. What we well, if I'm, gonna, with, if, if I'm the one making the decision where to invest it, though, and I'm actually in the business of helping well, my what, brother. What if, you have, well, what if you have a young man with, with skills as a mechanic in your town, and you have an extra $100,000 to invest? Why don't you just go build him a garage and work out a plan, a 20-year plan, for him to pay you back $100,000? That's Christian. Right. That's true investment. That's, that's investing in your brother. That's lifting your brother up. That is, that is true investment. Investing right. in usury is not investing. Investing in usury is mimicking the damn Jew. So and expecting a higher return than the money you put in, that's usury. I don't care how you want to use... Um, eulogize it or, or use euphemisms, it's, it's Jewish usury and it's evil. No, and I'm trying to get to the bottom in the definition of it, Bill. That's exactly what I'm trying to get. You know, it's not just bank interest, obviously, by the definition that Matthew just talked about and that you clarified. No, it goes more beyond that. to your brother than you loaned him. That's usury. Right. I don't care if it's a dollar. It's usury. Right. When, you're, you're, look when you're looking to get a return... When you're actually looking in, in your words and in the, the worldly view of investment, that means that you are handing money over to somebody to supposedly help them, but that is under the guise of gaining something on your part. True investment in your brother, if you are to be handing out money, material goods, or whatever to somebody to help them, you are not looking for a return. What you are looking at is raising your brother up and not worrying about whether or not you are actually going to benefit from this monetarily or materialistically. What you need to be looking at as an investment is raising your brother up and helping to edify him. Okay, that I is True I understand, that. and it's, it's a fine line what you call charity versus investment in that case. Yeah. Well, well, other... look, look, you're going to give your $100,000 to some stockbroker, and he's going to create a damn bubble market, and, and you might get 10000 back in five years, right? No, I mean, I'm that, against that. I understand that, Bill. I understand that. What I'm trying to get at is if it's, for example, to raise – Say you have 10 people in your community, they're good Christian people, and they want to start an enterprise together, so and they all take a piece of it. You invest in them, and that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Right, that, that's but good. You're but you're not looking it, for usury. You, you might be looking for an equal share of possible future profits. That's fine. Okay. If you're making wooden tables and, and, and you all pitch in $10,000 – and there's nine other people, and you end up making $300,000 on these wooden tables, selling them at a fair market value, but, well, then fine. You all split up 30000 each. That, that's fair, right? There's nothing wrong with that, 
But when when you and anything in the Jewish securities system is is evil, but when you see me and and I'm a qualified mechanic and and I need a job or I need a business and you say, hey Bill, I'll loan you fifty thousand for this shop, but you have to give me a hundred back. You're basically taking advantage of me. You're you're oppressing me, and God hates usury. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's but why when it came to the crowdfunding scenario, Bill, I was thinking only in terms of the affinity where there are contributions to help. There is no expectation of return. That was the idea. Well, all the time. I, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be able to do what I do without that scenario. But okay. that's the, the free will of people who appreciate my work and, and, and want to see me be able to continue. That, that's different. Okay. And that's an investment, but they're investing in in their stake in this message because they also want to see it succeed and grow, right? So so that's totally different. Right. But it's not usury. It, it's not I, – I wouldn't take money at usury, and, and I wouldn't loan money at usury. Except I, – well, I could say except to an alien, and, and that's the law, but I wouldn't even loan money to an alien – no matter how much the, the interest rate. So, yeah, right. that's and an that's... interesting conundrum. How could you do that without de- dealing with them, which seems to rub up against another rule that you, of course, live by, and that is you're not supposed to have intercourse with them. So <laughs> right. it doesn't, well, doesn't make sense. Right. Once you start a corporation, you're, 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 Yahweh is no longer your God. In your business endeavors, the government becomes your god, and you have to obey the government. Yeah, that's correct. I understand. You get into a whole new world, and I've been there many times. They, then you, do you just rest on your laurels and say, this is that, this is that time of blindness, and we can't get away from it? <laughs> right. Well, that's, keep in mind that in that system, that, that's the way it is. We're stuck in a system until Babylon falls. So what's your take on the Matthew 25 parable? Where, where... I would advise anybody to get into it. If you're not in it now, your kids aren't in it now. If they want to be to do the what, what I would consider the godly thing, that they'll work honest trades for, for, a, for, for an honest wage and learn to work their, with their hands. That's the biggest shortcoming our race has today is nobody can work with their hands anymore. Nobody can build things with their hands. Mm-hmm. When Babylon falls, we're screwed because I can't make a brick. <laughs> I sure as hell can't build a, a house. Well, and one of the plans people... we have right now is to help people who want to who want to build things with their hands, and it's mostly through this affinity crowdfunding. That's the, that's the model. And it's to find people who do real things and build real things. I mean, that was that was the whole idea. I just was curious about the Matthew 25 parable where you had a master who, in fact, did invest and did get a return. Why the heck was that example used if that was just, by definition, immoral? Because Christ, he, he's offering a parable. A parable is an example to learn by. He, he's, God is not necessarily the master, Right. I mean, we have a master of the house with three servants, and, and everybody can insist, oh, the master's Christ. Well, well, Christ, 
evidently wasn't necessarily envisioning himself as the master when he gave the parable. He was only giving a parable. A parable is an allegorical example. We shouldn't take it literally and try to apply it to God simply because of the parable. It's an example which we should learn by. At the time, in that society, if your master gave you a talent and said, go do something with this and earn money on it, the least you could do is hand it over to the bankers, right? Yeah. It's a societal construct. He's using an example drawn on a societal construct. That doesn't mean that we should... Um, disregard the laws of our God and start engaging in usury. He's not approving of that. He's only telling a wicked servant that that's the least he could have done. And okay. and I would like I'd like to add that um, you know we are stuck in this time where we are we are forced to use these Jewish tools. Virtually everything that we endeavor in, the Jew has its fingers in. Um, now, when you talk about Federal Reserve notes and using them and all that stuff, you know, I still look at it as paper. I look at it, you know, I still have to use it. But, you know, when, when, I'm, trading, when I'm trading this paper over for things that, that I need and my family needs, you know, I literally have to chuckle because I'm thinking I'm getting the better end of the deal. It's like, yeah, here, you can have these worthless pieces of paper. Now I have something I need. Yeah, I guess that's one way to look at it. I look at it a little differently. I look at it as it's a fraud, and it certainly has inflated things. It's stolen value. It's stolen wealth, and it's inflated prices. It's made everything more complicated, and it's basically destroyed real concepts of value. So I guess... I guess there are different ways of looking at it, but I, I just use the Federal Reserve now because that's kind of like the low-hanging fruit issue. Everybody uses it, but then you go up the trail of different mechanisms and tools that are all part of this horrible system. Where do you draw the line? So that's that's what I was raising that one for. Right. Well, see, you to be perfectly honest, um, transactions, right? That's where you should draw the line. You I didn't can't help you, but use that that that. What, well, what the society and the government call money, you can't help but use it. You're not going to be able to do everything you need to, to see to your life, to raise your children, to feed them, to take care of your wife, and, and everything else that God's given you. You're not going to be able to do that on barter. We would love to be able to do that on barter, sure. We would love to have honest currency, sure. Go try to start your own and see what happens to you. <laughs> Well, that's give Caesar what is Caesar's so that you could give to God what is God's. What is God's in your life? Your wife, your kids. He who does not take care of his own should be accounted as one of the faithless, right? Mm-hmm. Right. But you have to take care of your wife and your kids. And if that means that you have to use this, this evil currency to do it, so be it. God knows what your trials are. You're not going to be damned for that. That's crazy. Oh. So, so, I mean, I know I'm familiar with all the arguments of the tax protesters, all the arguments of the people from the sovereign citizens movements, the little blue pill and the little red pill people. Uh, I knew a lot of those people when I spent time in prison. Uh, I knew people that were um, 
that were in prison for putting liens on judges and prosecutors in Michigan and Montana and Idaho, and I saw how much prison time they got for that and how they were treated. I don't think you want to go that way because you'll be... No, 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 and I'm not advocating that, and certainly I understand what you're saying. I was just trying to find out within this horrible system, how far can you go just to pay the bills and feed your family and... Your own personal transactions, right? Yep. Right. So, and, so and, you don't want to your brother a usury, and, and you don't borrow on usury. And, and, and you, if you could do that, and a lot of people can't, if you could do that, though, you're doing good. Right. Okay. These are still, it, it, it's like, um, I, I mean, to, to look at it simplistically, Tom, um, you know, it's it's the difference between taking a hammer to uh, hit a nail and taking a hammer to bust your brother's skull in. Um, it's they're they're still tools. You know, that hammer could have been developed by some Jewish company, and you you know you bought that hammer and you did aid that Jewish company. But that tool you are using, despite those Jews, for something that is going to. Uh, uh, build a house for your family or build a house for your brother or, you know, make money that puts food on the table for your family, makes money that you can give your brother who needs it. Screw the Jew, you know, who cares that they created the tool. You can use that tool against them. I look at it the same way with, with Facebook and the Internet and stuff like that. I hate Jew book, but I do use it, and it's and I know many of our brethren who use that Jewish tool against the Jews to spread the truth. Um, the same with the Internet. The Internet is so rife with pornography and evil and everything else that if you get caught up in it, yeah, it's, it's definitely going to take you down. But the Internet can also, and, you know, Bill is a prime example of using the Internet properly and using it against the Jew, and it's basically their tool. Well, I understand, Matt, and some of the tools probably weren't even Jewish to begin with. They were just hijacked and right. commandeered right. by them, and perverted. Well, that's, right, but that's exactly that. what it, it all is. That's just it, Tom. Everything has been perverted by the Jew. Everything that they didn't, they created nothing. They manipulate everything. That's Correct. where so what I was trying to get at, and back to square one again, is very simply, how many of those uh, – how do I judge using such tools if I'm trying to do it for good? And Bill gave me the clarification is it's for our personal use, and he's trying to put the standard based upon an interpretation of the Scripture, what God apparently has said about what we as Christians should be doing in commerce versus what maybe we'd like to do emulating, I guess, a Jewish model or something. So. That's, that's, I think, what the bottom line is on this. Let's see if I've got anything else on it. I think that's about it for that. Well, we got the caller on the line, guest five, I believe. Yep, yep. All right, All thanks, right. Tom. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Matt. Bye. Thank you, Tom. God bless. The best kind of investment is investment with your brother, and, and you can't expect increase from them. If, if Christians did that, if Christians invested in their communities, the, the Jew would have a lot less control over our societies. Instead, Christians have IRAs and, and, and money market funds and, and, and mutual funds, and the Jew runs our society because of it, and we don't have jobs. We don't have jobs because the Jew is investing our money 
with the aliens and overseas. That's why we Americans don't have jobs. Americans don't have jobs because Americans don't deserve jobs because Americans have not invested in their own communities. We've talked ourselves out of our society. We've let the Jew trick us right out of it. We let them lure us into these emerging market funds and, and the emerging markets, well, they really never emerge. And these developing nation funds and those developing nations, they really never develop. They build factories with dormitories next to them, squeeze 10,000 chinks into a dormitory to live like cockroaches, and then expect white workers to be able to compete with them on a price-only basis, forcing your brother to compete with vermin and dirt on, on a price-only basis for his wages. That's sin. There's no bigger sin than that. That's murdering your brother. It's crazy. If whites invested in their own communities, but we wouldn't have this Jewish control over our society, or at least it would be um, no greater than it was 200 years ago when whites did invest in their communities. All right, I'm going to uh, yeah, I'm going to unmute Butcher. Yes. Hello, Butcher. Hey, Bill, this is Butch. How you doing tonight? How you doing, Butch? Good. I'm pretty good. Uh, this What's is the first time I've ever called in. Yes, I, I believe it is. You have a deep southern accent. I can tell that right away. <laughs> yeah, I talked to you one time on uh, one of your chat rooms you used to have, and there was a couple men and women in there, but I could never get back over it to you. Uh, and I remember I was talking to you. I used to be on Pal Talk. Do you remember that? Well, well, I dabbled in Pal Talk upon being invited there a few times by a couple of people back in, wow, that was 2009, early 2009. Yeah. Well, I was with it back in 2000, actually, when Earnhardt got killed and uh, used to be on there with, uh, well, I'd hate to say any names because <laughs> it might be enemies of yours. I don't know. But Willie Martin was one of them. Yeah, I, I never knew Willie Martin. To be to be honest with you, I was in prison until two thousand until December two thousand and eight, right? Yeah, well, the Jews killed Willie Martin. Uh, Willie was he used to send out emails uh, in and you know you give me your email address, and he he wrote a bunch of this stuff. Somebody did, and he'd send them to in emails, and he went into the hospital and he had gotten better, and then all of a sudden. Uh, he was dead. So, <laughs> yeah, they killed him in the hospital. They gave him something and actually killed him. Well, well I wouldn't doubt was probably handed out CI tracts in a hospital. Well, but what uh, what I was going to say, when y'all was talking about that Jesus a while ago, uh, I'm a pretty well versed in the Bible. I've been studying it for like 35 years now. And that... What I think happened there was when Jesus was talking about that uh, that last one, it didn't uh, said he went and hid the money in the ground, I think, and, w and wouldn't put it to the uh, usury. He said yeah. he was fearful, and I think that's what's wrong with our people today. They're fearful, even though a lot of them don't think they're fearful. Their fear of the Jew is a even my wife. She she said I'm scared to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> 
Amen. That's that's exactly what we have going on today. You're absolutely right. And and most of our people are not even aware. I mean, they're not aware of their own self-inflicted white guilt. Not, not yeah. only was he fearful, but he even went so far as to question his master's motives, saying that his master was grievous and overburdening. So so that's even even worse. That's fearful with with um dis, disputation on top of it. But that's true. That is true. Yeah, well that's sometimes a do a, a word study in the Bible, I do uh, the quick verse and look up how many times God tells us to fear not. And if we take that to heart, you know, it would be a uplifting to our people. But listen, I'm gonna get off here. I just wanted to say hi to you again and uh I do come in and listen to you once in a while. I don't get a chance to do it every week, but you keep up the good work, and I'll try to send you a dollar to you once in a while. Well, thank you, Butcher, and and praise Yahweh, and 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 I appreciate your calling. Thank you. Christogenie.org has its own chat server. The, the connection instructions are at christogenie.net slash connect, or just go to christogenie.net and look at. The, the connect link on the top menu across the top of the website, and, and you'll find the instructions for installing the software. It, it's been busy at times. It's been quiet at times, and um, I'm not always there, but there, there are regular visitors to the Christogenia chat server, and, and it is very often a, a, a place to find good fellowship. So... Well, we still have a half hour left. Uh, we want to have more call-ins. I mean, we I saw a, a couple people in the chat who uh, had questioned about calling in this evening. Um, feel free to call in. I'm not sure how often I'm going to do these call-in programs. I would like to do them every couple of months, but um, not on both nights on a weekend. But th this weekend it was expedient for me to do it both nights. But at least one night on the weekend, I would like to do this every couple of months and, and give the, um, the community and the people that listen to my programs the opportunity to, to express themselves, to raise issues, to ask questions. I, I think that's um, not, not only fair, but it's necessary to the, the, the health of a good community. And I touched on that last night. I expected when I started my website endeavor to throw a couple of web pages up and, and, and um, walk away from it and go find a day job, and, and that didn't happen. And here I am, and, and um, that this has grown far beyond what, where I imagined it would go. I never thought that Christogenia would approach the top 100,000 websites in the world or... Um, get hundreds of visitors every day. I really didn't. I'm happy it does. I would like to see it do better. It, it can do better if the people that listen to our podcast post links around the Internet and, and when, whenever they can to pertinent material in our articles, on our websites, mine, Clifton's, even other Christian identity websites. And that's how we stay effective, and spread our message. I don't ever expect to be popular. A certain um, 
before I left prison and, and before I ever imagined I'd be on the Internet, uh, on the Internet doing this, a certain Christian identity pastor who I used to work with, he told me that the message was getting popular. I told him that I hoped not. I don't want it to get popular because I, I, I don't think that it, it can ever be popular. And he said to me, well, what if you're the one that makes it popular? And I honestly retorted, that's when I really know that I'm screwing up. There's a difference between popularity and being effective. Being effective means to get this message in front of as many faces as possible so that you can hopefully bring a brother or two to the light. But I expect to only be successful with a very small percentage of the people that this message, message reaches. That's the way it should be. I want it to reach all of the white kindred I can, I can reach, but I expect to only resonate with a small percentage of them. And, and it's up to God, it's up to Yahweh to hit that switch and wake them up. But well, anyone, anyone who, who spreads the message, Bill, is, you know, if you're looking to spread the truth, you're not looking for rock stardom. Well, all right, absolutely not. But if I don't get this message in front of as many people as possible, then I feel like I'm the guy that took that coin and buried it in the ground. And you don't want to be that guy. Amen, Bill. Hey, we have uh, Hunter and Gerald on the line. Yes, let's, well, well let's, whoever called in first. Yes, Hunter is it. on the line. They're, they're both good brothers. Hello, Hunter. How are we doing? Not too bad. Um, yeah, I got a few questions, um, and they, I guess a couple of them tie in with each other. Um and it's going to relate to, you know, this Babylon, Babylonian system that we're in. And uh, first of all, I want to ask about, I was listening to one of your older podcasts on Pragmatic Genesis, and I think it was number 13 or something like that um, in the series. And it was, I remember you, it was regarding uh, Esau and Jacob. And there was one part in there where you're talking about Isaiah, or pardon me, Isaac had, uh, or Esau was asking for a blessing, and it was, you know, Jacob had already got the blessing, and so what Esau got was sort of, uh, well, not much, um, but the one thing that um, he had said, Isaac had said, was that in the time, I guess, Jacob's trouble, right, is where... Uh, he would break off the yoke of Jacob, and 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 you'd call that a. a I, I'm not sure was that was that a would have been a prophetic statement that he made, or um, you, you'd call it a prediction, right? And, and would there be a difference there? And 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 there's something else I want to ask in regards to that. Well, well, it seemed to me to be a prediction, and, and it seemed to me to reflect that time of Jacob's trouble that's in other prophecies. And, but, and the very which, time they were in, I wrote an article based on that a few weeks ago, actually about two months ago, entitled um, Slavery for 100 Years, which is mm -hmm. exactly the state we've been in 
since 1913 in, in this country, but longer in some of the other European countries, such as in Britain. Right. So, but, so wouldn't that be, like, I mean, would he have been an, obviously inspired by by the Holy Spirit, by God somehow? Because even though he didn't start out saying, thus says, you know, the Lord, um, but to make such a precise, uh, accurate statement like that, um, almost reflects that it was a it was a prophetic statement. It was almost it was prophecy almost, which is a little bit I guess more than a than a prediction. Wouldn't that would you would you phrase it that way? Yeah, you know, I, I made a few illustrations on a program a while ago. I don't remember exactly when. It may have been in <laughs> pragmatic Genesis. In in the ancient world, men who were godly men believed that the words that they uttered counted. Those words mattered. Those mm-hmm. words stuck. We have an example in in um, the life of the prophet Samuel, what, where it says that um, Yahweh was with was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. The words you utter. They really stood for something in, in the ancient world. Today, in this, this um, satanic society, which it is, we take our words lightly. We tell people all the time, we flip them off, we tell them, go to hell. And, and, and we don't think anything about the impact of those words. And, and the thought that we're actually telling one of our kinsmen, one of our brethren to go to hell, that's a horrible thought, right? But today, people say it as a matter of fact throughout our world, and, and it's, it's, it's a terrible thing, but we treat our words cheaply. Right. When Jacob uttered those words, he believed that because he uttered them and, and meant them, that they would be true. So, yes, well, we could say that it, it, it's recorded in Scripture, so... Certainly, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to say those words. It, it's his blessings to his sons that it must have mattered. But because he uttered them, he expected them to come true. Right. So do you, do you think that could apply to godly men in our day and age now? Where, you know, some of their, you know, if they're um, acting as a, you know, their life is, they're carrying forward as a good Christian, and, and they know that their words matter, um, and they speak with, you know, with intention. Uh, do you think that could be the case nowadays? Where, um, I guess, you know, that would be the same as the case back then, as far as the words they utter. Oh, no, well, it, it said of Samuel that God was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And, and Samuel was a godly man, right? And, and before I said Jacob, and I meant Isaac, I apologize for that, but the point is made. The, um, if you're a godly man and, 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 and you only utter godly words, why would any of them fall to the ground? Right, right. I would go trying to prophecy anything and, and test God to see if it would come true, right? But, right, right. Okay. I, I just, anyways, this does tie into, uh, thanks for that, but, and it sort of ties in with uh, what we were talking about before, or your guest there was talking about before in regards, to, I, I kind of cut in halfway through so I didn't catch everything, but 
that dealing with the time of Jacob's trouble and, and there would be a time where, uh, you know, we would, Esau would throw off the yoke of Jacob and then we'd be kind of under the bondage of, of, of Edomites and that's where we are today. So w- when Babylon does fall, I mean, is does the Bible speak to a certain, I mean, do we know how long that time period is interim-wise, like between the time, you know, Babylon falls and, and is it a slow fall, a fast fall, and how much time will elapse before Christ himself, you know, comes back? So that, that's one portion a, I wanted to ask about. But we have a seven times prophecy of 2,520 years, right? Mm-hmm. And then we have a time of Jacob's trouble after that. And, and that time of Jacob's trouble, and, and I believe it follows that 2,520 years. I mm-hmm. I honestly believe that the time of Jacob's trouble, the 2,520 years ended as each of the Israelite nations came out from under the tyranny of the monarchies and came into this period of so-called self-rule, democratic rule, and, and that became the time of Jacob's trouble. We thought we could rule ourselves, and we're going to end up even worse than we were under those tyrants. That's my opinion, right? But there's mm-hmm. the time of Jacob's trouble, and, and my article cited several scriptures to support that and, and that describe that. Well, that's not determined how, how, how long it is. Well, we it, it's it, it's an it, it's an un, unmentioned you know an undefined period of time. I I can't when, when Christ is going to return. No man knows the day. I'll never be a date setter. We don't oh, know. Yeah, well, I understand false, that. It's our turn. But can can't we know when we're in the season? Right? Like, doesn't the Bible speak to that? It makes that that statement that we'll know when we're in that season. Well, you know, well we, we can read of the times, and the Bible tells us to read the signs of the times, and, mm-hmm. and, and that when, when the Son of Man is going to return, they will be eating and drinking, they will be marrying and giving in marriage. It'll be as it was in the days of Noah. How was yeah. it in the days of Noah? They were racing, they were, they were absolutely apostate from God. Mm-hmm. Well, we have all of that with us today. Mm-hmm. But you're not so, going to hear it from me that Christ is coming back tomorrow. I, I mean, no, no, I, I think there's still obviously, uh, I don't want to say how long, but I mean, I can't say how long, but I think there's, you know, a good time to go yet. Um, but well, well, one of the time with the cursed fig tree, its branches would spring forth and it would be in full bloom. And we understand that to be world jewelry and their branches have sprung forth, and, and they're doing pretty darn good. So, yeah. I, I mean, all the signs are with us, but it could be another you, 100 years. No. Do, you, do you think that the fall of the, either the U.S. dollar or, or the, the Federal Reserve System, uh, you know, the, the central global central banking system, that, that do you think that coincides with the fall of Babylon, whether it's... Um, you know, starts with the fall of the U.S. dollar. I mean, we there well, seems well, to mean, be things going. Is the linchpin that, that that holds Mystery Babylon together, right? The, what is the Federal Reserve System? Yeah. Over our nations, they would not have the, the social and 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 the political control that they have. 
Mm-hmm. It just seems to me um, like reading what's going on here in the world, and it's not really in the mainstream news, but uh, what's going on with a lot of the if you, if you if you follow what's going on with gold to the best you can, um, there seems to be um, all the gold seems to be heading east, right, and it seems to be flowing into China and, and into the Eastern Asian nations, Asia, whatnot, and and Russia um, just had one of their main banks sanctioned uh, by the U.S. and whoever else, and that was, I think, not one of the larger Russian banks, but it's a uh, a bank that is, it's one of the banks to the Kremlin, and that bank, they're now putting out, I think, a gold symbol of the Russian ruble outside that bank, and there, there's been statements made to the effect of they're going to transact in all currencies but the U.S. dollar, and in in they're going to include gold in that, right? And there's, there seems to be momentum building in the fact that, you know, gold is going to play a part in a, a global reset of, of the currency system. And I, and I wonder if this is sort of like, a, you know, an interim step or, or the next final phase of, of, you know, Rothschild and company playing their get, – getting control in a new way, right? You know, they're, they're going to get out from underneath this current system and sort of revamp it, and it's going to involve – power being um, placed in these eastern nations and in an eastern bloc set up uh, of nations, Russia, China, uh, some of the Middle Eastern nations, whatever, the Arab nations, and and uh, the U.S. is going to be sort of isolated. And whether or not that's a fall of Babylon, I don't necessarily believe that, but it seems to me they're like it being a revamping, a, re, uh, a sort of a final stage here that we're going into. Uh, and I, I don't know what you think about that, but I just wanted to put that out there. And, and well, well, you know, I don't. You know, the money supply, the gold supply—they're two totally different things. A lot of people mm-hmm. really believe that the money is based on gold, and it certainly isn't. The, the money no. only has value because men esteem it to have value, and and the money has the value that men esteem it to have. It, it's yeah. that simple. The um, I, I don't know if I, I I would want to attempt to micro track the, the the monetary movements and 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 the intents of other nations and and um or other world forces if you will and 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 attempt to to determine when the dollar is going to fail. There have been many times when it looked like the dollar was going to fail, and it still hasn't failed. Uh, yeah. So, so for me, even though those things might interest the the hobbyists that do understand the, the monetary system and 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 the international commodity system, it might be of interest. Yeah. But I, I think it's vanity to try to chase it to the level where you think you're going to pin it down because you're not. Yeah, no, no, not nece- Yeah, I don't necessarily think that, but it just sort of gets uh, when you follow this stuff. You sort of get a uh, well, hopefully, a feel for where we're at. I guess in this the final stages here of this Babylonian system. But uh, the, I mean, I know that when Nixon took the U.S. dollar um, off the gold standard, really was only on a 
you know, was kind of on its final stages. It really wasn't a full gold standard in 71 there. And then, and then they had the Jew Kissinger go over to the Saudi Arabia and make the deal to get the petrodollar thing going. And that happened, I think, in 73, because the dollar would have been done at that time. And so we've had, had the, the uh, I guess the Federal Reserve System's underpinning is the U.S. dollar as the world's reserve currency, which is now a petrodollar. And if that petrodollar status goes bye-bye, um, you know, that's when we're in for big changes. And that's kind of what I, I see occurring, right? And if that happens and the U.S. does you lose that status, I mean, that's going to, well, it's going to be massive pain for the middle class, no doubt. But in one way, that might be good news because it might allow um, – well, it might allow people in the in the U.S. to kind of get out from underneath that, and maybe the pain will wake them up. You know, like uh, good white men and women that that you know basically get the shaft here uh, when this all goes down. And I mean, if the U.S. dollar is devalued by half or more or whatever it's going to be, um, a lot of people are going to be left poor, broken, and and destitute. And maybe that's what it takes for people to uh, you know to wake up. When they realize they got nothing, right? And maybe well, that's when they turn their. That there's a few people here that that listen to us who who have woke up that that um haven't suffered at any personal trauma. But I've always said that most people will never wake up until they suffer personal trauma. That mm-hmm. that's clear. But most yeah. they they love the world. They love the football games, the six packs. And to kick back into easy chairs, and 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 they love their credit cards, and to be able to buy anything they want on usury, and and not worry about the bill until February, right? That that's the way it is. They're not going to wake up until the six pack and the, the easy chair are missing one day when they come home from work, and 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 the television's mm-hmm. been repossessed. Yeah. Then they might think. Well, you know, I mean, I look that. I what's going on in it. Well, I look. I just, you know, I, I look forward to it. Uh, not, not that people will um, have to go through the pain or whatever. Of, I don't look forward to their pain, but I look forward to people, you know, waking up on mass, you know, and and that white men and women of all over the U.S., you know, uh, would wake up and start to congeal, right, you know, and realize what's going on, you know, how they've been duped for <laughs> for a long time, you know, and, and would turn their faces back to God. And so I guess that's what I hope for. That's why, I'm, you know, I, I kind of follow things closely to, to see what's going on in, well, in, the, in the global monetary system, not 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 to benefit off of it or, or, or speculation or anything, just to kind of see where we're at. And I, and I look forward to, pe- you know, people waking up and turning their hearts back to God. You know, that's what I want. Yeah, you know, I think it was Clifton Emmerheiser that that explained once that the skirts were um, the the skirts were the skirts were up, and, and when the Great Depression hit, the skirts went down. That people re, re rediscovered morality and did turn to God, but it took that trauma of, of the Great Depression to do it. Right. So, so that there very well could be a correlation, but I wouldn't expect um, total pain and suffering because we, we have um, at the end we have five virgins that are off in the markets. What are they doing? 
they're playing with the Jews. And we have five virgins waiting for Christ. At the end, they're, they're eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. They're partying and, and, and living it up. Mm-hmm. Race mixing and everything else that was going on in the days of Noah. Yeah. So the scenario may not be quite what the, the doom and gloomers had, had mm-hmm. been trumpeting for all these years. Yeah. And, and station, we're already invaded. <laughs> You're not going to tell me it can get much worse than this. I mean, it can get it can get worse. But well, we're already it can get, around our enemies. Uh, it can get worse, and it, I, I see it here. I've talked about this before. Uh, on a just to give a a local synopsis of what uh, of this this invasion. Um, I, I've said this before where I live. Uh, I mean, it was when I grew up here. It was you know you'd see the odd Chinaman because there'd be a you know a, chi- a Chinese corner store somewhere or, or whatever and. And there was hard, there was really no blacks to speak of around here, and all he had was basically some Indians, uh, you know, because they were the indigenous population. Uh, um, and so it was kind of like, you know, in, in Saskatchewan here, it would be like uh, what you would probably envision in North Dakota or, or Montana or whatever, just mostly whites, you know, with, with like I said, some some Indians running around here and there. But well, now, well, I'm sure what I what I see now, sorry, go ahead. I'm sure you'll be flooded with Mexicans and niggers soon. Well, no, what I'm seeing all like what I'm seeing now, it's it's getting it's exponential the the growth in 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 the immigration. You know, it's non-traditional immigration. Obviously, you know, it's I'm seeing a lot more Asian faces of all types. Um, you know, if I go to a large super, uh, one of the large grocery store chains here, um, that's where I you know, or a Walmart or something like that, that's that's where I'll really see it. And, and it's all kinds of Asians, like, you know, not just traditionally Chinese. It's, I mean, it's whatever they are, Taiwanese, uh, Malaysian, Filipino, whatever, and a lot more blacks. And I'm seeing um, blacks that are, that are more your, maybe you're not, you know, your blacks from Nigeria, they're very dark, whatever. And then I'm starting to see, other types of blacks okay. where they're not so dark. Well, um, I appreciate your call. I really do. But I'd like yeah. to get to two of the gentlemen before we, we, we call it a night. It, it's, you're going to see even more aliens in, in Montana and, and all the white areas in, in North the reason, America. They're well, not, the, reason why, the reason why I want to uh, bring this up uh, to give a local account of this is because I think like we got to be getting close to the final stages of this because I, I know maybe in the states there's a lot of areas but the invasion's been going on for a long time and and in Canada here that it's been going on for a long time in places like you know Toronto and Montreal or Vancouver and that but to get into the local farming areas you know like where where I am and stuff I never envisioned this before and, and so it's get it's coming into the last vestiges of uh, of you know where where whites used to be. Uh, Basically, right. it was just mostly white. Saturating the, the yeah. white land, rather than just so occupying the cities on, 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 in the ports and things like that. Yeah, so I saturation think, is close to complete. <laughs> yes, thank you. Okay, thanks, Bill. Appreciate it. Thank you. Praise you. Thanks, Kyle. 
You want me to unmute Gerald also? Well, yeah, you could unmute Gerald too. RP and Gerald are old friends. They could get along. <laughs> Hello, Mark. Indeed. Hello. Hey, Bill, what's the meaning of I have my being and I walk in the midst of my people? And also there's a quote about when two are gathered in my name, I'm there also. What's your general understanding for for me and for you know? Well, when two are gathered in my, in my name, I am there also. I, I mean, he's, as every time that we meet with our brethren, but we should act as if Christ is with us because he is the omniscient God and, and, see, and, and sees and understands and knows everything we do, right? right. And, and knows our hearts. So that when two of us or our brethren or our Israelite kindred are gathered in his name, what we should always act as if we're also honoring him and it, he's there right there with us. Okay. I, I I wondered about that. I knew that, you know, there's a there's a quote also that uh, when, you know, two will put so many thousands to fight and, you know, there's a multiplying effect when we when we gather. Well, well absolutely. And honestly, and and, and personal experience with that. It's absolutely true. If you're doing what is godly and you believe you're right, your enemies will just go away. There's no I, doubt. Oh, my mind. I, I had a, um, a customer who wasn't Irish, and um, they brought up the uh, fact about um, how great it was to have a, a current president. And I, boy, something came over me, and I said, uh, "It's not, it's not uh, right to have an alien rule over Israel." And that shocked the person so bad. He said, Rem- uh, "Remind me never get you angry," and they never came back. Good. So, yeah, it was good. Oh yeah. Did you see that customer? Yeah, no, I didn't. And and when they hear the uh, word. Of Yahweh, uh, spoken without any equivocation, it terrifies them. Yes, I believe that. Amen, Russ. Well, I always when I was in prison that that when the niggers knew a white boy that knew he was white, that, that they were terrified. They stayed away. Mm-hmm. That yeah, they sensed. Yeah, it's, it's, it's they they it's just like. Uh, chasing demons away. Remember the the guy that uh, the quote in the scripture, and that's the last thing I'll say, um, where uh, the the demon said, "We know who he is, but who are you?" <laughs> you know, right. when, you know. I think it was a, a guy trying to use the Holy Spirit, and he wasn't uh, qualified. And the yeah, the demon. The, you know, yeah, that was Simon the Magician, I believe. Yeah, that's... Who was probably yeah. probably a Jew. Yeah, yeah. We know, we know who uh, Yeshua is, but we don't know who you are. <laughs> yes, we know, yeah. we, yes, we know who Yahshua is, we know who Paul is, but we don't know who you are. Right. Well, what's that, the seven sons of Sceva? I could be wrong. <clears throat> I know when they were... Yeah, that, that's the seventh uh, of Skeever in Acts chapter nineteen. 
that that oh. happened to Matt. Sorry. And there were seven oh. sons of Giver, a Jew, and one of the priests, a Judean. But but from his from 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 the rest of the description, we know that he was a Jew. Yeah, he was a broken pot, for sure. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? I love it. Just thinking of that, it makes me happy. (laughs) Thanks for everything you're doing, Bill. Thank you, RP. I appreciate it. Hey, Gerald, you have there? Hello, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Loud and clear. I just wanted to add a a note uh, to what Russ had had said about the two gathered in his name. You know, uh, of course, I'm I'm here at this house, and I'm uh, in this wheelchair, and I spend most of my time alone. Uh, Very rarely do I have company or anything. And, of course, uh, I've always felt like, Yes, I'm alone, but I'm not alone because uh, Yahshua is with me all the time. And uh, where, you know, in a way, it's it's where two is gathered, but, but Yahshua can very well be one of those two. And I never I never feel alone. I feel, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I can converse with him and talk with him, and uh, I feel like he's uh, he's an entity just right here with me. And I just thought I'd add that point to to uh, what Russ was saying. But anyway, I call. I was going to call in to. I wanted to say something positive about something negative. Uh, being here alone, I do keep up with a, a great deal of the news, whatever they allow us to uh, to hear and and all. But I, I go to other outlets that that actually actually I get some of the best news on the Russian and uh, Chinese uh, uh, channels than I do on Fox, uh, Fair and Balanced, and CNN. But uh, I, I've, I've noticed over the last, um, I'd say maybe a year, uh, I see an escalation, and this kind of ties into what some of the other guys were talking about on, in the chat room and maybe one of the callers about the end times and, you know, when is this thing going to end and all and uh, I agree with Bill. Uh, you know, uh, no one knows the exact time. Uh, you know, we may know the season uh, to some extent, but no one knows the time. But uh, and, and we've looked at this thing uh, so many times about well, how much longer can this go on? We see such horrible things happening, uh, not only to uh, uh, this country but to our race. Uh, to our beliefs, to everything that we cherish and hold dear to heart. It's all under attack and it's being destroyed right before our eyes. And uh, what I see uh, in in Europe, I I was trying to uh, uh, be positive about some movements that's going on in Europe, but but I understand that's not going to work either. You know, I want the rightest uh, white people over there to rise up and, uh, you know, just like I do with my beloved South, I'd love to see us rise up and, 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 and take our land back. But it's not meant to be. It's not going to happen. And I see the Jews making a concerted effort more and more uh, to attack us, to destroy every vestige of uh, opportunity we might have uh, to, uh, to take anything back. All the different country, white countries over there in Europe, 
uh, that do have rightist movements going on, there's a tremendous uh, battle now that the Jews are waging, and of course we're helping them, uh, to destroy those entities. And, and, and Ukraine is a prime example. Uh, 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 you do have a lot of white uh, Christian U- Ukrainians over there. Uh, what the Bolshevik Jews didn't murder, I think they murdered uh, somewhere around 20 million white Ukrainians uh, during the Bolshevik uh, period and after. But uh, the Jews, I think, are getting very, very worried. And to me, that's a good sign. Uh, they are uh, they're stepping up their programs uh, in, in every avenue uh, because I, th- I think they sense that uh, they could lose control at, at any time. And uh, Satan knows that he has a very limited uh, amount of time, and I think they do too. I, I think they know who they are, they know what they are, and uh, they know their time is limited. And so I, I'm taking heart in what I'm seeing, even though I see all the bad things in this country. I see my, my, my race being destroyed. Uh, our young people here in the South, the white kids, are being taught all of this garbage. That they got black teachers in the high schools. Where uh, our, our history books have all been changed uh, to uh, be politically correct. Everything, uh, it's all of our heritage and culture is being destroyed. And it breaks my heart because I I love these things. It's part of, I'm 73 years old, and it's it's part of my life. I grew up in in, in a time when things were kinder and gentler, and uh, we didn't have a thousand points of light, but but we still, uh, it was so much better. And, uh, you know... General, I love Southern culture. Don't get me wrong, but and, and I really do wish the South had won. Don't get me wrong, but you know, in the 1950s, the Southern Baptists taught segregation and they taught against race mixing, right? Right. And in the 1960s, they changed their minds and started teaching integration. And 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 became apathetic at least to race mixing, right? Yeah, you see, Bill, you're right. But at the same time, you know, I lived during that period, and I, I saw all this 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 coming. And there were lots and lots of people that was uh, uh, putting up warning flags and trying to to uh, to uh, uh, warn people what was coming. But the court systems uh, down here in the South, and people up in the northern states and the western states. They really didn't have a clue, and some of them still don't, as to what we actually experienced and what happened to us down here through the court systems. They came in, and they uh, they virtually uh, uh, changed our public school systems, everything, to reflect what they wanted. And all the I, laws, all the southern I, states had segregation I, laws down here, and uh, they knocked them down one at a time. Well... People in Tennessee and certain part of Tennessee tried to uh, revolt against it, and uh, they sent tanks in in the Clinton, Tennessee. A lot of people don't know that, but they sent tanks in, in there. They were going up the streets in, in Clinton, Tennessee. Uh, what they did in Mississippi, uh, and, uh, and to some extent here in Louisiana, and of course in Ar- Arkansas, we went through all that, and we watched law by law getting knocked down. And, and then they came in with the public school system 
because they uh, uh, they had these laws now in effect uh, against integration, and they made it a, a, a crime to teach the truth or to be white, be proud, like Oxford, Mississippi. Uh, you know, you couldn't go you couldn't go to anything in Oxford, Mississippi if you unless you saw a thousand Confederate flags. Well, you won't see one now. But but they made it, it's part of that white guilt. And we went through all that. That's why a lot of it changed. We didn't just wake up one day in the 60s because the Beatles were singing on the radio and decided that we wanted to integrate and bring the baboons into our lives. Uh, it was forced upon us. And, and, and the government, the IRS, has come into all these uh, 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 churches that we have down here, and they have, uh, through their uh, tax exemptions, uh, they've uh, put a gag on, on all of the met preachers. Of course, now the seminary is not turning out any preachers that will preach anything. But uh, if they, one tried, they'll lose their tax exemption. And they're enforcing these laws more on us than they are in the rest of the country. Now, that's starting to change. I we have gone that. through this. We, we, we construction never ended here in the South. But Go they ahead. still... That they still eventually caved in, and caving in meant abandoning God. I'm not saying the people in the north were any better. The people in the north abandoned God a long time before the people in the south. That's what made the, 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 the oppression of the south possible. But people, well, what I'm saying is that our punishment for our sin is very often deserved. That's all I'm saying. Oh, you're right. I agree with you a thousand percent. And uh, uh, we're 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 paying for uh, the choices that we're making. Uh, the, my neighbors, my even relatives, are, are have have abandoned uh, our way of life, and uh, that they're, they're taking the uh, the uh, path of least resistance. Well, let's not talk about that. Well, if you don't talk about it, you're not going to do anything about it. Well, we can't do it. You know, we can't do anything. We can't fight the federal government. Well. That's probably true now. We can't. But we could at one time. And uh, we did cave in. When George Wallace, uh, we had uh, governors in every southern state down here practically that was all on the same page. You had Oval Fathers in uh, Arkansas and Lester Maddox in Georgia. And uh, you had uh, Wallace in Alabama and Ross Barnett in Mississippi. And we had Willie Raynack here in Louisiana. And Texas had a pretty good governor, and they was, but but they wouldn't join together and say no. They they were fearful that um, something was going to happen, and then these sorry white Southern Democrat politicians uh, realized that they could stay in office if they'd uh, have uh, uh, crank up the baby factories and get all these blacks, more blacks uh, registered and everything. Uh, anyway, I, I'm, I'm rambling, and I don't mean to do that. I just wanted to say that that I do, I do see uh, uh, something going on. I, I, I think it's culminating. Uh, you know, I'm not saying the Lord's coming tomorrow, but um, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I, I think it could happen at any time. It, it may be 100, 200 years. I don't know. But at the rate it's going, uh, I just don't. Uh, I, I just don't see how with the acceleration that this thing can continue for 100 to 200 years. I pr I, I'd well, love to see it yeah. culminate in my lifetime. Well, we all see it that way, believe me. And, and I pray it's in your lifetime also. 
Christians should learn to live every day as if tomorrow is the last day. Amen. Absolutely. Um, you know, I just I just wanted to add, um, Gerald, that uh, you know I, I absolutely uh, concur with what you're saying concerning you know the 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 times that we live in, and what I'd like to say is that. While many of our brethren focus on the semantics of what is going on today, that's a waste of time, to be perfectly honest. I I wasted like over a decade of my life trying to figure out the semantics of, of what's going wrong with the world and or this and or this country and, you know, trying to find ways to fix it until I finally realized I can't fix it. There's a reason I can't fix it. And we should be more worried about, okay, wow, we understand and we see that this world is going to shit, pardon my French, but um, then we should be more cognizant of our own behaviors and we should be more Christ-like and be expecting Christ to be coming any day now. Even even if we can look at this and say, well, it may not happen for 100 years. Who ca- Who cares if it doesn't happen for another 100 years? You know, we know we're in this time and that Christ is going to come back like a thief in the night. If we even if we waste even an iota of a second worrying about okay, well, you know, he may be able to come next month or this year or whatever, we're we are not being Christ-like because we've just wasted the time that we could have spent spreading the message to our brethren saying, "Hey, we are in this time. You need to be Christ-like. We need to be acting as if Christ is going to be coming tomorrow. Well, we always should be. And and, and I'm not saying that, um, that that Christ is going to appear and, and get us out of the troubles and the trials that we face in the future. That's not the way it's going to happen at all. But we should, should pray that the... Um, and, and I would urge people to listen to my recent Micah presentation, especially the parts three and four in, in reference to eschatology. And uh, well, we should pray that this Babylonian system falls in a day, and, and, and once it falls, that's where the people that know the truth and that know what's going on in the world and that know the treachery of the Jews and that understand why these other races are here to, to um, tormenting us, well, the people that know the truth, that's when it's their turn to pick up the ball and run with it. And, and that's when they are going to have the ears of our white brethren in the world and and our job is going to be to educate them. And, and, and that's, I sincerely believe that. That is when that Malachi um, ministry, the, the ministry which is described in Malachi chapter 4 of Scripture and, and prophesied by Christ himself, that spirit of Elijah which would return and turn the hearts of the children to the fathers and, and the fathers to the children. That's the racial message of the gospel. 
and that that when Babylon falls, then it's our turn. Then we hear the call to arise and and thresh, and um, people are going to need this Christian identity ministry. If God is true, Christian identity it is where we should be. I agree. Well, I've taken enough of your time tonight. I appreciate you letting me come on. It's been a very long time since I've set, said anything over the air, but uh, I just felt like I wanted to tonight. And uh, thank you for your good work and uh, all the wonderful things that uh, the CI people are doing. And, uh, uh, you know, we're really the only beacon of light that's out there. And... Uh, you know, the churches have, have just gone to pot, and it, it's real sad uh, uh, that truth is not being taught. So uh, thank you again for your service, and um, good night. Well, thank you, General, and your treasure, and, and I wish we could probably get together one time and, and, and um, just discuss your experiences from the, from the 50s and 60s. I, I, I was a... I was a young lad in the, in, in the 60s and, and remember a few things, but don't remember much, not much, but from a Yankee perspective, of course. Thank you, Gerald. Praise Yahweh. Yes, good to hear you again, Gerald. Okay, we don't well, have anybody else on the line, Bill. Bill. Thanks for your partnership tonight, your your, your help, and, and we'll call it a night. I'll be here next Friday with my presentation of Paul's Epistles to the Romans, Part 3. I'm somewhere in the middle of um, Romans Chapter 2. Next Saturday, I'm going to leave open. I haven't decided what I'm going to do yet. Sword Brethren won't be here. He's taking a hiatus, I believe, from talk show radio programs. And, and um, he has personal reasons for doing that. It's nothing terrible. It, it's, um, it, he has some endeavors that he has to pursue. So next week, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I, I have a, a variety of choices. It, I'm thinking about the next segment of the two seed line series, either that or, or possibly my, my, um, a start on my German origins presentations. I want to do that this summer. I, I'm not sure. I have to flip a coin. So next Friday, Romans part three. Thank you for listening, everybody. Praise Yahweh. Those who participated, I, I really, truly appreciate it. And good night.